Well, last week we began a new series together called Stuck, and we said that one of the things all of us have in common, whether you're religious or not, church person or not, follower of Jesus or not, is that from time to time we all find ourselves stuck, whether it's relationally, financially, professionally, academically. We said all of us have that in common, and because of that, we recognize that each of us, we should be students and not critics when it comes to other people who are stuck, because stuck applies to all of us. And we looked at a section of scripture written by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans where he says this. He says, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. And we said this is just kind of a a fancy way, a complicated way of saying, if you're under a law, then that law is over you. And because all of us have been stuck at some point, that means that all of us have fallen short of whatever standard we think he's referring to, whether it's God's standard in the Old Testament, Jesus' standard in the New Testament, or even if it's the standard of our own conscience. And this experience of falling short, of getting stuck, it is so universal, it's so common to humanity that when we're stuck, all of us, we either say or we think the very same thing. We all say, well, listen, nobody's perfect. And we recognize that what we're saying when we say this is, in fact, way bigger and much more profound than than any of us realize because what we're saying is that there is, in fact, a perfect, that nobody is. That there is a standard that is outside of me, a standard I did not create and that I consistently fall short of, and that I am actually accountable to. And we said this phenomenon isn't a coincidence and its purpose isn't to make us better or gooder or any of those things. No, rather, as the Apostle Paul goes on to explain, its purpose is to awaken us to something outside of us to which we are accountable. We said that this pressure that we feel, this this pressure of conscience, It is not the pressure of an angry God pushing us to be better people or behave. It is the presence, it is the thumbprint of a loving Heavenly Father, anxious to bring grace into the lives of people who are stuck. Now, last week, I showed you a couple of pictures of vehicles that had gotten stuck and just to kind of get us all thinking about this idea. But what I don't have a picture of, and I wish I did so that I could show you, is the very first time that I got a car stuck. I was 17, so I'd been driving for a little more than a year. It was summertime, and my grandparents had a house up in Lexington. I wanted to go there and go fishing for a couple days, and my grandparents had this house you know, long before I was born, and so I remembered going up there as a kid and spending summers up there. And it's only an hour or so you know, up M25, and so my parents said that was fine. And so I got all my stuff together. I threw it in the back of my 1982 Datsun Stanza hatchback and I left for Lexington. And small miracle, I actually got to my grandparents' house. There's a private beach in their subdivision on the shore of Lake Huron. And so I went and fished off the pier there for a couple hours, no luck. But see, I also brought my fly fishing gear with me. And so I decided to head over to Croswell and fish the Black River. Now, probably not many of you have ever heard of Croswell. Croswell is about you know, a 10 mile drive due west of Lexington on M90, and there is absolutely nothing except farmland between these two tiny, tiny little Michigan cities. Well, I'm about halfway to Croswell. I I remembered and I realized I had left my fishing vest, my fly fishing vest, along with a bunch of flies back at my grandparents' house. So I'm on M90, and I realize I need to turn around. But like I said, there is nothing between um, these two cities except farmland. And so instead of heading into town and turning around, I decided to do a U-turn in the middle of M90. I mean, after all, I was an expert driver because I had an entire year of driving under my belt. And the road, it was completely empty, right? I was the only car on it, which again, is not surprising if you know that part of the state. And so I slow down and I start making a tight left-hand turn. It's only a two-lane road, and so I had to go pretty slow to turn that tight. I had almost completed the turn 
When my right front wheel went off the pavement onto the shoulder, the shoulder collapses into an irrigation ditch for the field, the front end of my car bottoms out, and the right wheel is now hanging in midair about three feet above the irrigation ditch, just spinning, no cell phone. No text messaging, just me and M90 for as far as the eye can see. I was stuck. And see, all of us, we've got these stories, right? And when you tell them months or years after the fact, they're kind of funny. But in the moment, it's just like, okay, what, what do I do now? I mean, how, how in the world am I going to get out of this? I mean, I'm stuck so badly, I don't even know if I can get unstuck. And I, I certainly can't do it by myself. Now, here's, here's who I want to talk to today. I want to talk to that group of you who, for you, that picture that I just gave you, that's just sort of a picture of your personal life right now. You've gotten yourself stuck so badly, you're not sure if you're ever going to get out. It might be your finances. It might be something going on in a relationship. It could be your academic life or your professional life. It could be something happening in your marriage or with your parents. I mean, it could even be a legal thing. I don't know what it is. But right now, you would say that there's something going on in my life, and it is so big, I really don't know what to do right now. And see, here's something else that we said last week that's so important for you to know and to remember. The things that get us stuck... Those are the very things that brought God near. And what we're going to discover together today, and what I hope that you leave with understanding today, is that whatever it is that has you stuck right now, it actually has the potential of bringing God near to you in a way that you have never experienced God before. The most famous verse in the entire Bible is John 3.16, and it says this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that we would not perish. In other words... God loved our stuck world so much that he jumped right into the middle of it. But see, it's actually even better than that, as we're going to discover today. This is where we left off last week, and this is why you know being stuck may not be what we often believe it to be, because the verse right after verse 16 is one that doesn't get much attention. Right? You never see this, this verse being held up at sporting events or crowds of people chanting this verse or, or holding it up on big placards on the side of the road. But this is the verse that, that maybe you need to hear as we begin to discover how the thing that has you stuck right now, the thing that you wish you could turn, the back, you know, turn back the clock on and undo somehow, that may be the very thing that God uses to introduce himself to you in the most personal way possible. This is what John who spent three years of his life living with Jesus, said about Jesus immediately after verse 16. He goes on and he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn. Right now, depending on the kind of church that you were raised in and the kind of family you grew up in, this could be huge for you. Right? God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save or to rescue or to redeem the world through him. That Jesus didn't come into the world to get in our faces because we were stuck and say, okay, do you realize what you've done to your marriage? Do you realize what you've done to your friendships? Do you realize what you've done to your reputation, to your future? No. Instead, God, through Jesus, illustrated. He gave us a picture of what it means to enter into the lives of, of stuck people and rescue us from what has us stuck, which means, don't miss this, Jesus came here to rescue us from ourselves. Because again, let's be honest, 
I am the one who is behind most of the things that have gotten me stuck. And when you read through the Gospels, what you see, you see this being demonstrated in the most intimate, the most passionate, the most personal ways imaginable. Right? One day Jesus is in the temple teaching, and the Pharisees and all the teachers of the law, they drag a woman in there who had gotten herself seriously stuck. If you've grown up in church, then you've heard this story. I mean, you might have heard this story even if you didn't grow up in church. She was caught in the act of adultery. She ruined her marriage and somebody else's marriage. She ruined her family and somebody else's family. And because everybody in that small community knows who she is and they now know what it is that she's done, she's destroyed her reputation, but also her future. And after a conversation with her accusers, Jesus stands up and he says to this condemned woman, this woman who put herself into the situation, who had gotten herself stuck, he says, I do not, right, and here's our word, I do not condemn you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am not going to sentence you to what you do you deserve. And then he goes on and he tells her and he says, go. Go and leave your life of sin. One day Jesus is in Jericho and he's making his way through a crowd and he looks up and he sees something that he's never seen before. He sees a sycamore tree with a tax collector sitting in it. This guy had gotten himself so completely stuck, right? Not stuck in a tree. No, he was stuck because he had taken a job as a tax collector. But that, that wasn't his biggest mistake. No, his biggest mistake was deciding to use his power, his position, and his authority to enrich himself on the backs of the hardworking people in his own neighborhood, in his own community. He was despised and he was hated and there was no way forward and there was no way out for him. But see, he wanted to see Jesus. And so Jesus stops as he's walking along the road and he looks up at this little man and he says, come down because we're going to go to your house, you stuck little man. And after being with Jesus, Zacchaeus realizes that he can't just walk away from what he's done. No, he realizes he needs to pay these people back. And he needs to pay them back with interest, not to make Jesus love him, but because Jesus changed him. One day Jesus is in an area of the country that he wasn't supposed to be in because his kind and their kind didn't get along. And Jesus' disciples, they went into a, a little town. They went into this little village called Sychar to buy some food. And, and in the middle of the day, when it's just incredibly hot, when no one should be outside, a woman comes to the center of that city all by herself because her life is stuck. She's been married five times. Now, that's a lot now. I mean, that was a whole lot back then. And the man that she was living with, it wasn't any of those other five men. This was a woman who had a long history of trying to get herself out of the holes that she dug, but somehow the hole just only seemed to get deeper and deeper, and it's just her and it's Jesus all by themselves by a well, and she didn't expect Jesus to say anything to her because, first of all, I mean, he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan, so there's nothing to talk about. And not only that, if he knew what she had done with her life, there would be even less reason for him to say anything to her. And Jesus says to this woman, come to me and I will quench the thirst that you've been trying to quench for your entire life. And at the end of Jesus' life, he has this conversation with a man who is so stuck 
and who has so sabotaged his own life that he had been arrested. He was so completely stuck that someone else determined that he couldn't even be trusted to serve a prison sentence. He couldn't even be trusted to row a Roman warship. Instead, the only thing that could be done with his life was to use it to serve as an example to other people. And so he would die with Jesus by crucifixion. And Jesus looked into the eyes of this woefully stuck man and said, Today, you're coming with me. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And see, the amazing thing, and the thing I just don't want you to miss, no matter how stuck your life is and how deep the hole is that you're in right now, no matter how much of it is your own fault, because you did it to yourself, and you just kept digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper, regardless of any of that. This is what Jesus offered these stuck people. And what Jesus offers you, this is the way out, right? This is the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. Do you know what Jesus offered to all of these people? He offered himself. He offered himself as the solution. And Jesus did this throughout his entire ministry. And the reason why this is so important is because this is how we know how God feels about us. The clearest picture of your heavenly father is Jesus. You want to know what God thinks? Listen to what Jesus says. You want to know how God responds? Watch how Jesus responds. And see, Jesus, the son of God, invited people who were stuck to follow him while they were stuck. In fact, immediately following the encounter with Jesus and the woman who had been dragged in front of the temple and accused of adultery, the Apostle John, he, he goes on and he, and he writes these words, and, and you can follow along if you'd like. This is from John chapter 8. He says that when Jesus spoke again to the people, Jesus said this, he said, I am the light of the world. Now here's what Jesus is saying and, and what this means for you today if you're stuck right now. Jesus is saying this, this listen. I can show you the way forward, and I will show you the way out. I can show you the way forward, and I will show you the way out. You're in a dark place, and you need a light. You're stuck, and you need to know the way out. And as you read through the New Testament, and as you watch Jesus, he makes his way through the lives of, of people who are stuck. You can be assured of this. Listen, your Heavenly Father, through Jesus, has invited you to follow Jesus even though you're still stuck. And then Jesus continues, he goes on, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, which means you may not consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus. You may not even be a theist. You, you may not have ever believed in God. You, you may not have ever believed in a personal God, but here you are and you're stuck. And Jesus says, listen, you can follow me. I am the light of the world. I am light for the world. And see, the only way to get out of your dark place, Jesus would say, your stuck place, is to follow someone who's got more light than you do. And Jesus says, I am that person, and I am offering myself as the solution. And he makes you this promise. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. And see, listen, I know what you want. I get it. You want exactly what I wanted when I was stuck on the side of M90 with one wheel hanging over an irrigation ditch, right? We want AAA, don't we? we? We want the courtesy van to just magically show up and fix it. We want to shake somebody's hand and say, okay, thank you. I'll call you the next time I need you. But see, listen, that's not how it works in the real world. And see, don't miss this. Your heavenly father, 
He loves you too much to do it that way because, because his goal for you is not to fix you and just clean things up after you. It's bigger and broader than that. He, he, because understand, he is a heavenly father. And every good father wants a relationship with his children. And what's more important to a good father than behavior is relationship. See, listen, I would much rather have imperfect children who love me over perfect children that don't care anything about me. And that thing that is in me as an earthly father, that is a reflection of the heart of our heavenly father. Your behavior is important, absolutely. It is not the most important thing. What is the most important to your heavenly father is a real personal relationship with him through the one that made that relationship possible, his son, Jesus. See, I want to fix. I want to make a call. I want somebody to fix what I did, shake my hand, and let me know that they're available the next time I need them. But your heavenly father says, listen, I just want so much more for you than that. I want a relationship. I want you to follow me. And you, what is that exactly? I mean, what does it mean when we say follow Jesus, right? I mean, the truth is, it's basically what we talk about all the time here. It's a relationship. It's a process. It's what Jesus said at the very end of his most famous sermon. You've heard this so many times before. Jesus said, everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice, he could have said, is going to end up stuck. Everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish person, Jesus said, who built their house on sand. See, following Jesus begins with this understanding, and I'll be very honest. This requires a lot of humility. God, I have built my house on sand. God, I tried to turn my car around on sand. I built my finances. I built my marriage. I built this dating relationship. I built my academic pursuits. I built my profession. I've built this area of my life on something that does not last. It isn't working and my house is tumbling down around me. And, and God, I need you. And I'm tempted to try and treat you like AAA. But see, more than I need a fix, I need what you've offered me. Yourself. Following Jesus is agreeing with Jesus when he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Right? In other words, everyone who hears my words, Jesus says, and pre-agrees with me. Everyone who agrees with me ahead of time, right? In other words, Jesus, the answer is yes. So Jesus, whatever you're going to ask me to do, I have pre-agreed to follow you. And since I have pre-agreed to follow you, as you show me what to do, Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to sit back and kind of consider my options. I'm not just going to sit back and kind of listen for different choices. No, Jesus, I am surrendering my life. I am surrendering my choices to you, Jesus. Jesus, the answer is yes. So what do you want me to do? That person, right? Every person, Jesus says, every person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. And here's the thing that we miss and here's the thing there is no shortcut for. It is that little word built. See, when we're stuck, you're adults, you know this. There is no quick fix. Now I want a quick fix. But if there was a quick fix, the truth is, I would be right back in the very same situation I was in in no time. And see, your Heavenly Father, He is a good Heavenly Father, and He wants something for you more than simply fixing you. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you how to get out. 
And I want you to begin the process of building your life, your finances, your relationship, your marriage, your parenting, your friendship, your professional life, your academic life. I want you to begin building those areas of your life on my teaching. And if you do, Jesus would say, I will lead you out of whatever has you stuck. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now listen, here's what I don't want you to miss from today, and, and, and you might not like what I'm about to say, but this is true. You cannot pray your way out of something that you behaved your way into. Listen, you cannot pray or confess your way out of something that you have behaved your way into. There is no silver bullet. There are no magic words. And see, that's not because God doesn't care. And it's not because he doesn't forgive you. Prayer and confession is the first step in following your way out of being stuck. But it's only the first step. In fact, your Heavenly Father, He cares so much about you that, that He brought a light into our world that is still shining after more than 2,000 years. And, and you can choose not to follow it. But if you do follow it, it will. Jesus will show you the way forward. And He will show you the way out. You cannot pray your way out of something you behaved your way into. But listen, you can follow your way out. Your heavenly Father will meet you where you are stuck. He is not offended by you, and he does not condemn you. He sees what you ha has you stuck right now as an opportunity. He sees that as an opportunity to invite you into a relationship with him. And listen, we know this, right? We know this because this is what Jesus did, and this is how Jesus responded to everyone he met who was stuck. And I'll tell you how else we know this. The reason we know that what I've just said is true right now today in the 21st century, in the countless number of homes that I'm speaking into right now, you will find men and women who will tell you something like this. Listen, I got stuck and I gave up. God showed up and I followed him out. See, this isn't just preacher talk. It's not like, okay, this was something for 2,000 years ago. No, this is today. This is the story of every single person leading you and who serves you throughout our church. We are not a bunch of perfect people who never got stuck. We are stuck people who have been redeemed. And see, we did not get redeemed overnight with some kind of a magic prayer. No, God showed us and taught us to follow his son. Every single person that you meet at our church who is a leader or a volunteer at our church, we are all very different people, but we all share a very similar story. Once upon a time, I got stuck, really stuck. In fact, the hole was so deep that I finally threw up my hands and I said, listen, I can't fix this. I can't make this better. I keep making it worse, so I give up. And when they gave up, God showed up in the middle of what had them stuck. And see, here's what so many of these same people would tell you. I've heard it so many times. It took the stuck, right? It took what had them stuck to arrange and to bring together the meeting. They, they would be the first ones to tell you if it had not been for them being stuck, there would not have been their personal meeting between them and their heavenly father, right? They would tell you that before their stuck experience, before God rescued them, God was an idea. God was just kind of out there somewhere. He, he was the God of their parents. He was the God of their grandparents. He wasn't personal. He was just something that they thought about or talked about at church once in a while. But as a result of being stuck, as a result of giving up, 
God showed up. And that is when God went from being a thing or a category to being personal, more personal than God had ever been before in their life. And because, see, listen, that's their story. And because that's what Jesus did in his life, I'm going to ask you to do something very similar to what Jesus asked Matthew to do and Zacchaeus to do and the woman at the well to do. I'm going to ask you to publicly identify. I'm going to ask you to publicly identify as someone who is stuck and who is ready to follow Jesus out. In just a minute, I'm actually going to ask you to stand up where you are and people are going to turn and they're going to stare at you. And I know this is even weirder because you're at home right now. But see, listen, I'm going to ask you to stand, and there's a reason for this, and this is so, so powerful, okay? Listen, the reason why there is a Gospel of Matthew is because one day Jesus walked up to a tax collector's booth, and he looked at Matthew, and with everybody from Matthew's world standing right there around them, Jesus said to Matthew, I want you to follow me. And see, everybody knew who Matthew the tax collector was, and everybody knew who Jesus claimed to be. And suddenly Matthew experienced incredible tension and anxiety and fear and he was self-conscious and Matthew stood up in front of everyone he knew and he followed Jesus. The very same thing is true of the woman at the well. In fact, she's the champion of this because John tells us that when she recognized who Jesus was, when she realized he was the Messiah she had been waiting for for her entire life, John tells us Jesus didn't have to ask her to do anything. Instead, she put down her water jar and she hurried back to her village and she gathered the village elders and she said to them, and this is so incredible if you just picture this for a moment. She said, listen, I just met a man who, like you, knows all about my past, but who, unlike you, did not condemn me. Could he be the Messiah? And she publicly identified with Jesus in front of a group of people who had absolutely no respect for her. And so if you're willing, and if you're watching at home alone, I want you to participate as well. If you're sitting there and you're listening to this and you would say, okay, that I'm talking to you right now, and you want to follow Jesus out of whatever has you stuck, if you're giving up, if you're asking God to show up, I want you to stand up because I want to pray for you and I want to celebrate with you today. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Matthew's courage and for the courage of the woman of the well. And Father, thank you uh, for the people who in our, are in our lives, the people that you've placed into our lives, the people that you've used to, to help lead us and guide us and sacrifice for us. And Father, right now in this moment, I pray for the man, I pray for the woman, I pray for the student who's at home and who is, who is watching this right now, and, and they're standing right now because Jesus, they want to follow you out of whatever it is that has them stuck. And, and Jesus, I want to give each of them a chance for on their own, for them to just, to just tell you personally what it is that has them stuck in life right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that in this moment, you create peace in their heart, a peace that only you can give. That this wouldn't simply be a display, that it wouldn't simply be a response of guilt or emotion, but that this would be a holy moment 
a moment of, of awareness, Holy Spirit, that you have brought and, and that you are awakening. You're actually awakening a heart. Jesus, I pray that this would be the beginning of people following you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, not simply out of what has them stuck right now, but into an authentic, genuine relationship with the Savior of the world. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen.